All right. December 2nd at 1.05 p.m. Eastern. Three, two, one. Hello, everyone listening, and welcome to the Footner Program. I'm Nick. And I'm Ruth. <laughs> and we have the honor <laughs> of teaching this first lesson of the 2022 Footner Program. Uh, thank you for being here, and thank you for making a commitment to take responsibility for your health and for trusting us with 360 hours of your time. We don't take the responsibility lightly. Um, our aim is sort of to share everything we know to prepare you for the journey ahead as best we can. And, you know, our intention is not to teach you information, but to sort of share a framework that we've been using on how to become your own health scientist. Um, and we'll share sort of our current perspective on certain principles, but the hope with everything we share is that it will be challenged and replaced over time as we sort of collectively learn and keep evolving our thinking. Uh, Ruth and I are on Slack once a week. So if you have a question about the lesson, feel free to direct message us. And if you want to uh, contribute to this lesson or add a resource or add some points, um, you can submit a pull request on GitHub and we will explain what the heck that means um, as time goes on so that you're, you're prepared to be able to do that. So let's dig in. And I think the first thing uh, to talk about is our core values. And, you know, I think having clarity of core values is really crucial from a community alignment perspective. It both acts as sort of the selection criteria to make sure that the right people are joining this community and that there's a good alignment in our shared values. Um, but it's also, you know, being really clear on values really creates a strong anchor for making sure that we stay on track for what we intended to do. So our five core values that we're going to talk about today, I'll list them off and then we'll sort of unpack them individually a little bit, are responsibility, curiosity, playfulness, commitment, and open-mindedness. Uh, so Ruth, you want to talk about responsibility a little bit? Yeah. So responsibility, um, we, we want to, um, define what we, what it means to, uh, we explain to ourselves, why are we here? And then, um, we've talked about the idea of responsibility. If you break down the word is that, are you able to make a response? So, um, responsibility, uh, to our own health, uh, requires, I mean, essentially, this is going to be like the foundation of what this whole talk is about, right? So there's going to be like different, um, a lot of different keys to reclaiming or claiming or taking responsibility for what it means to be healthy or uh, our quality of life. Right. Yeah. And I think you nailed it there with the responsibility. I heard Gabor Mate break that down one time into response, able, be able to respond and in order to be able to respond to challenges that we face with our health, we require some awareness and some practical tools to be able to actually respond. Uh, and so I think really the goal of this entire program and a core ethos of TFC is everyone is working towards taking full responsibility for their human experience, um, mm -hmm. responsibility for their health, for their feelings, their emotions, their well-being, their relationships, everything. And so responsibility, this notion that we value taking responsibility in all realms of life, uh, I think is an important core value that we all need to be on board with. Mm -hmm. Next one, curiosity. Yes, I love curiosity. I love the idea of curiosity because I, I guess what I wanna say before we go on is that all of this that we're talking about sounds really good to the ear because we're used to hearing these, these words and we know that they should resonate with us. But so curiosity, when I looked up the definition recently is the eagerness to learn about something. And we use the word curiosity a lot, you know, in our daily lives, or I mean, like there are these certain catch words as we start to, as we evolve, especially now during this time in our world, like 
trying to become more and more human and responsible, um, curiosity is kind of a word that's thrown around a lot. And so when I looked, I had to go back to the um, to the dictionary and look up like, what is curiosity again? Because I kind of forget sometimes. Mm. So the um, eagerness to learn about something rem reminded me that um, we can often say, yeah, yeah, I know that. But curiosity is one of our core values because it it really requires us to ask a lot of questions of ourselves, which is also going to um, be part of this initial experience. Yeah. 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 Well said. And I think always maintaining a sense of curiosity means that you're always, uh, like you said, having maintaining an eagerness to learn and to find out what you don't know, because I think mm -hmm. it's really comfortable to say, oh, yeah, I understand it all. It's fine. Um, but that kind of stops you from having some sort of motivation to continue learning. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, when someone has a different perspective than you, instead of defending your perspective, maybe inquire with curiosity as to trying to understand where they're coming from. And I think that notion of curiosity, um, you know, I personally view health as like the curious exploration of your experience. And I mm -hmm. think with curiosity, when you're curious, you get rid of like shame, you get rid of, I need to, I have to, it's more just like, I'm curious. I would just want to understand this. Uh, I want to understand other people. So yeah, curiosity, super important. Oh, Nikki uh, Pop, can I, can I say one more thing about curiosity? Yep. Because curiosity is a skill, is a skill set. So you, you, you mentioned um, about how we go about the world with a consistent eagerness to learn and to look at different um, differing perspectives from our own and curiosity to learn. And it sounds easy when you say it, but it's a skill set. So I just want to, I mean, it comes naturally to us as humans when we're children, but as adults, we have to develop the skill set. So that's one of the reasons why we're here too. Yeah. Good call because, you know, Curiosity is almost like a mental mode. You can either adopt it um, and reinforce it, or you can um, choose the more convenient path, which is not to be curious about learning what you don't know or learning more about something. So you're right. I think it's an active choice to be curious. And it's um, almost like gets it's a, it's a skill that gets reinforced through repetition. And so mm -hmm. applying curiosity in many areas of your life, not just to learning about health, but about sort of everything, uh, I think is important. Uh, let's talk about playfulness and this whole notion that we don't take our, you know, we work hard on our health. We value our health and taking responsibility, but we also don't take ourselves too seriously because mm -hmm. I think there's something to be said about um, just looking at life as something that is, should be playful, right? Life should be playful and enjoyable. Once we take ourselves too seriously, we start to try and defend ourselves and uh, things often go in the wrong direction. So can you talk a little mm -hmm. bit about playfulness? Um, and how that would sort of apply, how that core value would apply to us in this program. Mm -hmm. I can, but first let me go downstairs and get something. <laughs> it's pretty good. I know, it's so dumb. <laughs> well, okay, because when we, you know, I think, um, we, you know, given the state of affairs in our world today, which we can't, we're not going to necessarily talk about, but everybody recognizes, playfulness is not something I think from my perspective and observing the world around me that is coming natural to us at this moment in time. So cultivating, like doing, you know, cultivating um, an air of curiosity or a mindset of curiosity will then possibly add to the um, commitment to being playful and not taking ourselves too seriously. But I think it's important to just say that playfulness we, when we care so deeply about something and um, the world around us is 
unstable. It's hard to remain playful and um, <clears throat> cultivate that in a daily in your daily life. And also, if you are, you know, like as foot nerds and as people who are embarking on this journey together, it's it's nice to have a group of people that we can um, play with um, and connect with in a way that you have reinforcement to continue to see in life where there are opportunities to have a more lighthearted experience because there are if we look for them but it's not always so obvious when we go about our daily lives and i would argue that playfulness is one of the most important core values that we have um, in our pursuit of health because our bodies are naturally designed to feel good and to be in that homeostasis or balance. So we're all, our, our human organism is always looking for a state of comfort and balance and playfulness is a way for us to feel internally something that feels akin to what we use as the word health. So, um, and I would say that like playfulness is not just this sweet notion of, of like going about our daily lives and, um, you know, playing or laughing. It's, it's actually like, creating it's a radical act for a state of health inside of our bodies um, committing courageously to being playful even when maybe when the world around us doesn't necessarily want to be is is quite a courageous act and it floods into the personal ecosystems around us and has a ripple effect and i think this is something that we can offer our own bodies by taking care of ourselves and that in turn then takes care of the world around us in some small way that has a ripple effect mm. yeah I agree with all that goodness. Uh, and I, you know, if you look at health as a process that is best done through a playful lens where you're just, um, yeah, I think there's a big distinction between work and play work being like highly structured, not a lot of creativity in there, uh, typically associated with something that you have to do, but don't want to do. Whereas play is like unstructured, allows a lot more creativity, um, permits a wider array of options. And so if you look at health, like a puzzle, you can go about solving a puzzle, um, like in a very regimented work oriented way, or you can go about solving a puzzle playfully. Um, and it really is just the mindset you bring to it. And so I think being playful with the process of health of exploring health is really important because it has to be fun, mm -hmm. right? If it's not fun, it's no one likes doing shit. That's not fun. I don't. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. what people don't realize though, is that you can take a more playful, fun approach to the same task. Right. Mm -hmm. I can either look at some obstacle in my life as something that sucks and now I have to do it or like, okay, here's the challenge. I'm going to play with finding the right solution for me. And I'm going to keep a positive mindset because either way I got to face the challenge. So you may mm -hmm. as well choose to take a more playful approach with it. And when you do, you actually allow yourself to explore better solutions because you're not stuck in this box of work. It's like, well, I can, you know, I'm going to go through a bunch of scenarios and play with um, different options and then I'll choose the best option for me. So yeah. And it's a skill very important. And it's a skill set, right? It's just like curiosity. Like I want to keep emphasizing that these are skills that we're learning. They're not necessarily um, or that we're reclaiming. You know, like we have to reclaim the the ability, the skill set of uh, creating a playful mindset. Yes. Yeah, I really like the um the analogy of, you know, we live in Canada, we have hills that we toboggan down. So you have this hill of uh, fresh snow and you go down on a toboggan once and it makes a groove 
every time you go down the hill, it becomes easier to go to stay in that groove because it's better mm -hmm. formed, but it becomes harder to bump out of that groove. And that's almost like a certain way of thinking. So when you're taking a more playful mindset, if it's not your current default, you really have to work hard to get that groove created. But then mm -hmm. eventually when it becomes your default mindset, you start to view things uh, in all realms of life in a more playful way and curious way. So I uh, yeah, that's an important point that these are skills that need to be practiced in order to be reinforced. They're, you're not like born playful or not playful. All humans are born playful. Um, typically, as we get older, it gets kind of removed out of us to make us conform together. But I think reclaiming that sort of playful lens to look at life through uh, is very important and will make this 360 hour commitment a lot more enjoyable um, than if you take just like a straight up work mindset to it. Uh, the next one is commitment. And, you know, we value a commitment to the process of health, um, you know, commitment being sort of defined as like being dedicated to a cause or, you know, making a pledge, a pledge being sort of a promise to ourselves to follow through on a decision we made. If we made a decision to dedicate 300, one hour a day for 360 days to this process of exploring health, um, making good on that commitment and putting forth our best effort and planning so that we um, sort of can plan for success. Uh, is really important. So commitment is a big one. Commitment to health, commitment to the process of growth and the exploration of what health even means. I think that's a really important one um, for this program and this community. Mm -hmm. I, I, I guess what I would want to say about commitment is that it's an ebb and flow, right? So like um, there are different kinds of us who are embarking on this journey together. There are those, there are those of us who are like hone in and and dig in and then like go really hard and like a commitment means something that's like really fierce. And then there are those of us who are take the commitment um, maybe more loosely. And so I think it's important to recognize that our commitment, you know, lives change um, and evolve on a daily basis and very rapidly. So that the, the idea of commitment is like a big umbrella overview overarching concept and that it ebbs and flows on a more micro level on a day-to-day -day basis. And there's room for all of that. Right. Don't you think? Yeah, I agree. I think the commitment is just to show up every day in your health process, mm -hmm. which will mean exactly. different things at different points and to different mm -hmm. people, but fundamentally it's still a shared commitment to health and something we can hold each other accountable to and hold ourselves accountable to. Um, and yeah, and just viewing it as like, okay, if I miss a day, if life happens and I miss a day, I can still make good on that commitment by acknowledging why I missed the day, trying to foresee if that comes about again, what, what's my plan B for making sure I do something for my health. Um, and you know, it's working on your health is such a vast thing, right? Like that, that, and we'll talk about how we all define health differently, but I think a commitment to just doing something each day to get a little bit better, which can literally be like two minutes of taking deep breaths instead of um, looking at your phone, like you're making good on your commitment because you're showing up. And I think it's mm -hmm. really just about showing up is really all yep. it is. Show um, up. Show up. Let's talk about open-mindedness. What do you got to say about that? Oh yeah. Open-mindedness. So uh, there's going to be a lot of repetition with the topics that I'm speaking about because I believe that open-mindedness is a skill set that as adults is a skill set that we have to reclaim and repractice that when we were children, we were naturally more open-minded than I would, I would argue that we were more um, open-minded as children than we are as adults. And that we have this natural tendency to look for and reaffirm and confirm our um, own ideas and our belief systems because that's what makes us feel the most safe. So I think open-mindedness is one of the most important 
core values, just like all the other ones are the most important. But open-mindedness seriously, though, is the um, is like a very key core value because it requires that we purposefully and regularly and often look outside of our own belief system to see what the perspective of otherness um, looks like. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to change right away or do anything, but just to be a listening, observing, and um, without imposing ourselves to be uh, paying attention and to be aware of the world around us because there's so much that's different from and unique from who we are and our beliefs and our ideas that an open-mindedness is going to be the key component to applying the scientific method. Yeah. And I think open-mindedness is connected pretty tightly to curiosity mm -hmm. um, to, you know, open-mindedness is almost like the admission that what you currently know, your current perspective might not be um, the truth and uh, right now be the best perspective to take, right. And being open-minded to allowing new data to come in without prejudging it before it even um, gets into your, into your brain. I think just, hearing people out that think differently from you, he, uh, actively seeking to be curious, to look for information that um, maybe goes against your perspective so that you can really mm. put it up a, against your perspective and see like, which one is actually the best perspective to take based on mm. my experience and what other people around me are saying. So I think open-mindedness means just not discounting things before you actually give them a shot in terms of like really truly understanding it or hearing a person out and, um, yeah. So those are our core values, responsibility, curiosity, playfulness, commitment, and open-mindedness. I just wanted to say one last thing about open-mindedness. And that is that, um, oh, Nikki pop, I forgot. Okay, okay. <laughs> It'll come back to you. Okay. Um, let's talk about critical thinking because I think, uh, critical thinking is a really important aspect of this program. And really the whole notion with this group of people called foot nerds is that, no one's opinion is more important than the other. So the arbiter of truth is really, we got to agree on the rules so that there's no one person um, who's the ruler, right? And our tools for deciphering truth, one of the big ones is critical thinking. And so, you know, what is critical thinking? Critical thinking is a method for how to think, right? In school, we get taught what to think. This is the information you need to know. And they teach us what to think, but they don't often teach us how to think. Like, how do we dial in an understanding of how to make an analysis of a set of facts in order to form a judgment, right? It's really easy just to appeal to authority and say, that person knows everything. They're going to teach me. All I have to do is absorb what they say, but it's much, much harder to essentially put what someone is telling you through your own filter of judgment and verify for yourself the validity of that information. Because even if that person thinks it's true, they might not have had access to all the information you have access to. So Critical thinking is the analysis of facts in order to form a judgment. Uh, it's the skill and art of asking relevant, necessary, and meaningful questions so that we can collectively get to truth. And if we agree on the tool of critical thinking, then we can all apply it differently and kind of anchor back on the fact that that's the tool that we're all using um, so that we're not, you know, I think it's, yeah, it's very easy to just take information without actually vetting it yourself. And I think we don't have to vet all the information individually, but if we're making sure that we're all making an effort to critically evaluate information as it comes in. Um, and you know, it, once again, it's a skill that needs to be systematically cultivated. Like you have to practice this in your, you have to understand it and then you have to practice it in your life. 
Uh, and it requires work, right? Like mm -hmm. to gather information, to spend brain energy, reviewing it. Um, and then once you've kind of formed a perspective, sharing it and, and allowing others to review it, like it takes work, but I think that's, you know, in the work is where we get the results of having a good grounded understanding in reality of what health is and what each of us can do to restore health. So critical thinking is very important. Well, that, that actually reminds me about what I wanted to say about open-mindedness, because I, I was, I was going to say that like, um, as as this group of people who are embarking on this journey together, like in our learning pods and in our partnerships and in our shared um, agreed upon core values, that it can be easy to forget to be open-minded open -minded when we are going through the critical thinking process. So that like, it comes back to the fact that you consistently have to be aware of where you might be becoming more narrow focused in your way of thinking, right? So like just yesterday talking with like our core team, I recognized how I wasn't actually open-minded. And so it just, it's, it keeps, keeps coming back to this, like creating a self-awareness and um, um, to start to master the skill set of critical thinking and that we have to be on top of it on a regular basis and recognize that we will probably fail more than, than we will succeed. And that's the point. Yes, I agree. And, you know, at the end of the day, if we're not thinking for ourselves, we're trusting our health with someone else um, who may not be perfectly equipped for the job because health is an inside job and only we can do it. And so I think, um, you know, it's important because truth is important. And, you know, I think a big question is how do we foster critical thinking? And the two points that I came up with was we foster it through a culture where we understand what critical thinking is on an individual level. And we hold each other to be accountable to critical thinking uh, at a collective level. So if we all understand what critical thinking is and why it's important, then we can keep each other accountable and make sure that we're actually employing that tool um, through sort of our process. And, you know, by applying it in our own lives, in our own health process, and also in our community discussions, right? Like disagreements are actually where the learning happens as a community. We all kind of go out and get our own data. We come back, share our perspective. When two perspectives differ, those two people can have a conversation and a beautiful disagreement to figure out, okay, well, where do our perspectives differ? Do we have fundamentals that we're differing on? If it's just details, then, then that's fine. But we got to be mindful of critical thinking and all those core values that we said in order to have meaningful disagreements where both people come out of the disagreement with a, a, a synthesis of the perspectives, right? A, a better perspective because they now have information from someone else that they didn't have. So yes, critical thinking. One last point on critical thinking as, as our groups are coming in is to remember to participate and that it takes courage to actually have a productive disagreement and that we, um, we help to cultivate a, a group dynamic that is way more, has a lot more vitality if we can have the courage to actually speak up when we um, don't agree and be willing to enter into that relationship. Because I will say that it, um, up until this point, like this seems to be, um, in my observation and from my experience, like watching groups of people together in this program um, hesitate to actually step forward and and be courageous enough to say what they disagree with. And that is where the growth happens. So I just want to be encouraging about that, Nick. Yes. And we all have to be encouraging, right? Like we're all collectively creating this little container that we are all exploring within. And so, mm -hmm. you know, there's no one person that says these are the rules. It's like, if we all know the rules, we all 
are the arbiters to make sure that we're applying these rules individually yeah. and together. Uh, next up, let's talk about proof of work. And this is really important. And I think fundamentally health is proof of work. The state of your health is proof of the work you've done to understand and implement better habits in your life. And so proof of work, um, materializes in the footer program as your daily health log. So a log, you know, instead of saying journal, I like the, I like the word log. Um, it's more, I mean, it's more research oriented, but I think a journal, <laughs> I think a journal, uh, the word journal kind of turns people off. It turned me off a little bit. Yeah. So maybe it's, I'm too, just, it's, it's too fluffy. And like, yeah, it's too fluffy. Like... <laughs> um, so I looked up the definition of log and it's it, the definition that came up was an official record of events during a voyage, which I was like, yeah, oh, not fluffy, <laughs> not fluffy. No. Um, and if the voyage we're talking about is your health voyage, then your health log is your daily uh, record of what you worked on. And it doesn't have to be super elaborate. It can be brief some days. It can be uh, longer on other days. But I think the important part is that your proof of work, your daily health log, is the artifact that confirms that you showed up that day. Mm -hmm. And it can take a while to get in the routine of writing something every day, right? You have to build a ritual. Um, and, you know, like what would go in that log? And some examples are like, what did you do? Like what, what did you apply in your life that's related to health? Uh, what did you learn? What key insights did you get? Did you try something and then you felt different? Like write that down. What challenged you? What was difficult? Um, you know, a big win, something that you did and you got a great result from it. Um, and what you want to do next? Like, what do I want to work on tomorrow? So really all it is, is if all you do is like worst case scenario, you go into your daily health log and you write, I missed today. I was too busy. My life mm -hmm. was too, um, had too much stuff going on. Here's my strategy for how I'm going to make sure I show up tomorrow. That's your proof of work that you actually spent a certain amount of time thinking about what you did that day. Even if you weren't able to really do a whole lot, like, and I think putting together 360 entries in a chain, sequential chain of 360 days, that is health, right? Mm -hmm. That is showing that you showed up you put thought energy into the process of health. You took time to think about your health and that proof of work serves as your kind of record of achievement. When you're done, it's like, wow, I did 360 days. Um, and I logged each day and I can go back and see what I learned. Um, if I want to sort of clue in on certain insights that I had. So yeah. What are your thoughts on, this is a term that was sort of inspired by, um, how Bitcoin works. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it really applies to, to health in a big way, health being basically the proof of work. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on I, that? Well, I definitely, I really re resonate with the proof of work and the log idea. And it's not, you know, I want to just go back to say like journaling is wonderful and it's fluffy in like the best possible sense. So I don't, I, what I mean is um, like the log is something that is official because if I'm not mistaken, eventually the log will be um, public, right? Well, the log will be for people who want to become health guides, the log, your proof of work health log gets, um, shared with your mentor. And that's what they use to sort of like check out the work that you've done. Mm -hmm. Uh, people can make their logs public if they're going to become health guides, but it's not, right. you know, as someone in the footner program that doesn't wish to go further and do the health guide certification, it's literally, they're just their, um, evidence of, of their right. health voyage for the first year of their health voyage. Yes, that's right. Because, um, so I guess my, my point about that is that journaling has its place in a different realm, but the health log is your actual private um, 
file dissertation of your work that you have done that you can that anybody that you share it with can look at and say yes over these last 360 days this is what i did and i i i think that's a really valuable resource not only for yourself personally to reflect on but to um to just share with the community if and if and when you choose to do that yep i agree and it's like I think proof of work has something built in where it's like, that is truth, right? Like if Mm -hmm. I get a degree for doing something in school, there's many levels of work I could have done to achieve that degree, right? Mm -hmm. I could try and learn only what I'm going to be tested on and really not have put in too much work into getting that piece of paper. Um, I mean, on the other side, people, some people work really hard because they want to learn what they're going to, what they're learning. And the paper is just like some sort of artifact, but I think proof of work is both of those built in one right? Mm -hmm. It is, um, it certifies that you put in the work for 360 days. And it also has a huge amount of reflective data in there that you can go in and mine and and read, like you can go in and review like 14 days of your health log and tease out some of the really key insights that may not have, or patterns too. This is another thing. Like whenever, uh, I injured my calf earlier this year and every day I took a small note of how things felt, what I could and couldn't do. And, you know, over the first month, it was kind of blurry because day to day, I didn't feel big changes. But then I looked back and I'm like, wow, seven days ago, I couldn't even walk without a limp. And now I can. And so patterns become more obvious if you've written them down and can go back and review them because often our memories aren't very good at piecing things together chronologically and making sure that we remember every detail. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I think the health, the daily health log is one, a metric you can use to determine, to hold yourself accountable right? Like don't miss a day. Even if it's just writing a sentence, don't miss a day. And I think that accomplishment of stringing 360 days together where you took some time and paid attention to your health process, that's a huge accomplishment. And Mm -hmm. so, um, it's proof of work that at the end of the program, you put in the time you showed up. And I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. That must be one of the reasons why, you know, when we were in college and in grad school and stuff, if you, if you went to college at a time where you actually took handwritten notes and you had big thick notebooks, of like your exams and stuff, because that's proof of work, right? Mm -hmm. So like, I was really connected to that stuff, took me a long time to be able to dispose of those notes, or even old journals and stuff where you can go back and see where you've been and where you are today. And those, um, those that growth spurt, those growth spurts. Yeah. Yep, I agree. Let's talk about experiments, because experiments are a huge part of this program. Um, You know, based on the fact that If you have a set of fundamental principles to be mindful of, and you understand a framework for putting together your own good experiments to discover your truth, um, based on who you are, what your life is like, and what experiments you feel like doing, um, understanding how to do a good experiment, a a meaningful experiment is really important. So essentially the scientific method, I mean, the word science and scientific method has been kind (laughs) of like brutalized these days, um, along with health along with health, but I, I, it doesn't discount the fact that it is a really important tool. It's the best Mm -hmm. tool we have, right? It's not a perfect tool, but it's the best one we have. Mm -hmm. And so the scientific method is sort of the scaffolding that you use to construct meaningful experiments. And each lesson, uh, in this program, there's 36 of them. Each lesson will have recommended experiments ranked from really small, what I call nano to really big or huge. Um, Teachers of lessons will populate the first five experiments. And then essentially we welcome suggestions from any and all nerds who are doing experiments to sort of suggest it and add it to the lesson. And hopefully eventually we have a huge repository of experiments for each lesson topic that nerds can try out. And so 
the scientific method fundamentally is about asking good questions, right? It's asking better and better questions as you learn. And so um, just to give sort of like a, a high level framework of what this looks like, the scientific method is you make an observation, you ask a question, you form a hypothesis that answers that question. So you, you essentially guess at a viable answer. So um, if this doesn't work, that is, you know, when you make an observation, it's like, say this, this machine doesn't work. You ask yourself a question. I wonder why this machine doesn't work. You make a hypothesis. Well, I'm going to guess that it's not plugged in. That's why the machine's not working. Um, so you form a hypothesis that answers the question. You make a prediction based on that hypothesis. You do an experiment to test the prediction and, and then you analyze the results. And when you analyze the results, you got two choices. Your hypothesis was correct. In which case you have a piece of meaningful data or your hypothesis was incorrect in which case you go back and you do a different question uh, or you revise your hypothesis and then you try again and then you share your results with others. And so I'll give two sort of examples that kind of make this a little bit more concrete. So an observation might be my toaster doesn't work. The question is, is something wrong with my electrical outlet? A hypothesis would be if something's wrong with the outlet, if I plug in my coffee maker, then it also won't work. Your experiment is, plug in the coffee maker to the outlet. If your result is that the coffee maker works, then your conclusion is that the electrical outlet works. So my toaster is broken. Um, and then from that, you have a piece of information, right? But you have to go through it systematically in order to troubleshoot it. So let's give more of a health related example. Your observation might be, I feel tired when I wake up and I have low energy at the start of the day. Your question might be, perhaps, I wonder if my sleep quality is poor. Your hypothesis might be, if I improve my evening routine, maybe my sleep quality will be improved and I'll be less tired. So your experiment would be cleaning up your evening routine, which might be like no screens an hour before bed, going on a consistent bedtime, down-regulating before you go to sleep. And in terms of your result, well, if after like seven days, you're much less tired waking up, then your conclusion is, well, a better evening routine resulted in a more restful sleep and me being less tired in the morning. So at the start, this can seem very dry and nonsensical to go through all these different things. But once you get an idea of that framework, you don't necessarily have to do each item individually. You just kind of get an idea of, okay, this is the process for how I do an experiment, for how I do an experiment in my own life. Um, and the really important part there is recording results and recording insights and writing down how you're doing this experiment so that you can share it with others and so that you can go back and review and make sure like, was this actually a meaningful experiment? right? Did I get the result I thought I was going to get? Did I get a different result? Um, and when you string a bunch of experiments together, that is essentially health mm -hmm. is exploring with curiosity, different experiments, vastly different experiments, and then taking the results and then forming a perspective on what health means for you based on the results of those experiments. So mm -hmm. that's why we call them experiment. Like in the healthcare, we call it experiments instead of exercises. Cause it's really just like, you're trying this. We don't know what result you're going to get. There isn't a result that you should get but you have to be able to create some meaning out of the results you get. And, you, and mm -hmm. to do that, you have to tune into the process. So mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on that? Uh, two things. So um, we, you, you were saying that the scientific method, when we talk about it like this is, is kind of dry and seems nonsensical, except for that your example with the machine, the toaster oven or the coffee maker or whatever is we go through the scientific method every single day of our lives. Right. So I think like just giving the example about the kitchenware <laughs> is, um, is an example of that. And then, um, and then secondly, reprodu reproducibility, you know, uh, 
reproducibility is that like you were saying, if I did this for seven days and my sleep quality gets better, well, then you have more, uh, more data that, that correlates with that, that habit working for you. But the next step is that it's always evolving and changing so that, so that like, we don't stop we don't stop asking questions and we don't stop evolving and that the scientific method is an ongoing process that it's not just like one, the truth is always shifting and changing and evolving is what I want to say about that. Yeah. And I think just if the last, if the only thing you take away from that is that science is fundamentally about asking questions so that we don't mm -hmm. fool ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's literally the best tool we have to avoid believing that something's true. That isn't or mm -hmm. not believing something's true that is. And that's really, mm -hmm. I think that's where science went astray and really where it falls apart in a lot of contexts that's being used right now is like science is about asking questions. If someone says, this is the science, that's it. Mm -hmm. And uses that as, uh, preaches that as fact that is unchanging, that's not science. Because mm -hmm. science means constantly asking questions and trying to figure out like, is this actually the truth? And like mm -hmm. you said, the truth is dynamic. As we have more information, we have to recalibrate our definition mm -hmm. of truth. Um, and reproducibility, like you said, is important because maybe I do that experiment. I feel better in the morning. Someone else that I know is having issues with their sleep. I suggest that experiment. They do it, but they don't feel better. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, what, what is true for me may not be true for them because maybe they weren't realizing that, well, they have a coffee every day at 5 PM and that's, what's affecting their sleep. So they got to do another experiment to be like, okay, well that didn't work. I got to keep experimenting with curiosity to find out why am I not getting good sleep? Mm -hmm. And, um, and you just got to be curious to constantly do that and find purpose in, in wanting to do that. Well, the qualities and the characteristics that you're talking about are self-awareness, curiosity, and open-mindedness. So these are characteristics and skill sets that we build as Great. we go along. And that make up our core values. Mm -hmm. uh, accountability. So I think accountability um, is really important. And one thing I think is important to mention is like, if you're struggling to hold yourself accountable, usually it's either you don't find enough meaning in what you're trying to force yourself to do you're not doing it the right way. And maybe you're forcing yourself to do it the harder way instead of taking a more playful, lighthearted approach. And so I think accountability comes from yourself, right? Having some self accountability and putting systems in place. Like, you know, the daily log is your essentially is a metric to measure self accountability and make sure you're keeping accountable. Um, but then there's also social accountability, right? Like, you know, for example, if I'm new to the footner program, I'm doing, I'm committing to one hour a day, 360 days. I'm going to tell that to my partner so that they can ask me how well I'm doing on that. I'm going to, I'm going to rely on my pod, right. For social accountability, uh, and rely on my, you know, and we're using pod in the context of like a pod of whales, not like a pod in the matrix. I think that's an important distinction. Um, and so whether it's your learning partner, your family or your pod, this is a social network that gives um, that supports you to hold you accountable in a loving way, right? It's not like, Oh, you're doing, you're, you suck. You're failing. It's like, no, no, no. How did you, did you record something in your health log yesterday? No. Why? Well, I was too busy. What were you busy with? Well, I don't know. Well, record your time where you spend your time. And then that way you can troubleshoot, right? Like it's a, it's a compassionate type of accountability. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think your point person is going to be your learning partner because they're the ones going through the journey with you. They are your first um, layer of accountability specifically with the footner program. So I think having, um, and accountability differs for different people, right? I think one of the first things when you first connect with your learning partner is being very clear on the type of accountability that you'd like and sort of the level of accountability that you want. Some people won't need a whole lot. Some people will need a lot. And I think we have to be clear with our partners, what type of accountability, accountability and what level of accountability we want throughout this journey. So I think that's important. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think you touched on something too about um, understanding like if you're if you're struggling with accountability, going back to the drawing board and assessing whether or not you have created a why that like is your is it something that you're doing like have you answered the question like what is the purpose like the next the next thing on our list is creating purpose I think yeah. and so like assigning meaning is it you we have to be self-aware and open and curious with like what's happening inside our bodies because we're kind of our we're humans and we're conditioned by the world around us and the people that we love so who is it that is creating the meaning is it is it really your desire like what does it mean truly to you for health right so once we um assign a true meaning like you might have to go back and forth and adjust i mean i know like going through the foot nerd program it's like a, a lifelong process of of reassessing like what is it what is health to me and what do i find meaningful and then like how do i want to be held accountable because if you're not like you were saying if you don't if you're not finding some sense of joy and being held accountable, even when it's uncomfortable, because sometimes if we have gone down a path, um, you know, like there's lots of addictive mechanisms in our lives at play. And so if our accountability partner and our learning pod are asking us to be accountable and we get defensive, which is a natural feeling, then, you know, it's just constant, like just remolding and shaping, like, what is this thing that I'm doing for these 360 hours and what, and how can I change and shift and be open-minded, curious, and self-aware. So, um, yeah. So I think it's important not to shy away from, from letting yourself be held accountable, letting ourselves be held accountable. I, I know from personal experience that I can run from people and that I would like to, that are uh, assigned to hold me accountable because I don't want to be, I don't want to be faced with like not being, not being accountable. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, No one wants to be called out on their shit. And it's yeah. like, I think if we just go, if people go into this program, assuming that I am going to face challenges that are going to mm-hmm. uh, challenge my ability to hold myself accountable, really reaching out to your learning partner for support or your pod or your family mm-hmm. is essentially a, a, a safety net around you mm-hmm. where it's like, it's kind of like guardrails, right? Mm-hmm. If you get off the road, the guardrail stops you from falling off the cliff. And it never feels comfortable to smash into a guardrail, but it's way more comfortable than falling off the cliff. And so I think we just have to be like nice guardrails for the people that we're holding accountable and expect the same thing in return, right? It's like a very bi-directional relationship. There needs to be clarity. It's like, Ruth, I would love for you to email me once a week and ask me if I filled out my health log um, for the past seven days. Like that's Mm -hmm. that's a clear standard for what you would like for accountability. And there has to be honesty on both sides. Maybe Ruth's like, well, I don't really want to have to send you an email per week. Um, why don't you set a reminder on your phone to say, check your health log? You know, like it's a, it's a process of figuring out how do we mm-hmm. put prompts into our lives? How do we engineer these guardrails to make sure that we stay on the path knowing full well that it is normal and to be expected that you will get off the beaten, you will get off the right path at some point. Just Ooh, expect you, that. You know, you just brought up a fantastic point too, which is like, ultimately when you, when ultimately the end goal is that you don't, you won't need an accountability partner because when you reclaim the responsibility for your own health you will get to know yourself well enough you will set your prompts and so it's kind of like training wheels to have your learning Mm -hmm. pot and in life too like I think the whole idea about taking responsibility for our health is that we are taking care of also the world around us so that people don't have to be responsible for us Um, and we're not a burden you know unless there's like some big emergency but like for the most part we are just like these self-reliant
performs still great. And how awesome that, you, fro- you froze for a second. We, you got to, we are the self-reliant and then keep going. Oh, I said, um, we, oh, I said, how awesome would it be to have a world of self-reliant humans that don't need to be, um, that don't always need to have the external world fixing us, you know? Yes, I agree. And I think that is full responsibility. Like that is the definition of taking radical responsibility. Um, but it's really finding that happy medium of like knowing that we can't do anything alone right? Like it's, it's okay to rely on others to help support us along the way. But I think the goal is to use others and a support network as training wheels so that we can become self-accountable. And oftentimes we'll end up relying on support from other people for accountability from other people in our lives. But I think for the most part, like you said, if the majority of the time we can remain self-accountable by just being self-aware and admitting when we get off track and knowing how to recalibrate without, um, you know, beating ourselves up. I think that's really important. And we're all Mm -hmm. learning how to do this together, right? This is part of the learning of like to take full responsibility for your health also requires you to learn how to become self-accountable. And that process is better done together with help from each other. And the end goal is to not require as much accountability because you're just, um, forming new habits and knowing that, like, I actually want to do this and I have the tools to do this instead of needing to be prodded along by other people. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I think in terms of creating purpose, it's like the fundamental question I think people should answer for themselves. Uh, And maybe this is like a good entry for your health log for the first log that you make is like, why did you commit to doing this? What is your primary reason? What is your source of meaning for wanting to invest money and invest one hour a day for 360 days, which is a big commitment, but I think it's a very important commitment. So like, why did you do that? So that when things get tough and you're like, oh, I don't know if I can keep doing this. It seems like this is really hard. You can look at your first log entry and said, this is why I committed to this. And you can kind of reinforce your purpose uh, and juice up your motivation for wanting to do it. Right. Um, and yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Because I think creating purpose in this journey, which, you know, will be extremely meaningful and extremely rewarding, but can have its challenging moments. People need purpose. So creating a sense of purpose is the onus of the person right? Purpose doesn't just come automatically. It's like, you got to develop it, anchor down on it, be clear on it and reinforce it regularly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, uh, well, you're talking about assigning meaning, you know, like asking ourselves questions, why am I doing this? You know, why am I investing money and time and, um, committing to myself and a group of people, um, you assign meaning and then that registers in our brains and bodies. What, um, you know, like as a memory, So when that happens, that when that happens, if it's true for you, like if it's true for us, because everybody is, is going to have different reasons, um, then that, that sort of results in a feeling of motive, wanting to be motivated to continue. So I would say like, when we're talking about creating purpose in our lives, again, like this, for, for me going through this program, it changed over time. Like if I would go back and look at my notes, why did I commit to this? It was one thing in the beginning, but as I grow, as I learn, as I become, you know, I thought I was like so open-minded when I started this program, it turns out that was not the case. (laughs) (laughs) You have to build it. You have to practice it. Yeah. And I think that, so like, so then the, the purpose changes, you know, over time. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so like, consistently assigning meaning and recognizing that only if we assign true meaning to what we're doing, does our body and brain actually um, create some type of like long-term memory that creates the motivation for us to go forward. So we can depend on our internal cues to know if something is really valuable 
to us at that moment, you know, and then we can assess like, is it because I'm addicted to staying up and looking at screens until one in the morning that I'm resistant? Or is it that this truly isn't meaningful to me at this time or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I remember I had one patient when I was practicing physio and it was an older, she was an older lady. She was like almost 80 and she would show up every week. And like, she was on it. She was motivated. She came in. She's like, what are we doing today? I'm ready. And I was like, holy shit, this lady's got some good energy. And I remember at one point asking her, like, why do you come here? Like, what is your, like your shoulders way better than, um, probably what it was before we even started this. Like, why do you come here? And she's like, two reasons. One, I want to be able to play with my grandkids without breaking down. And two, I want to never be a burden for my family. And I want to be able to help if someone else needs my help. And I was like, wow. So she, her reasons were not like, I want to have no pain in my shoulder because she mm -hmm. didn't have shoulder pain at that point. She's like, I want to increase my capacity and resilience so that I can never be a burden so I can help others. So I can play with my grandkids and her motivate her. Like she spat that off right away. When I asked her, it's not like, she's like, Oh, I'll get back to you. It's like, no, no, no. She knew. And it was like in her brain floating around every time she came into the clinic. And so that to me was like a prime example of if you have a really deep sense of purpose for why you're doing this, that will always exceed whatever challenges you're going to face and allow you to kind of push through the harder times. So mm -hmm. yeah, creating meaning, creating purpose, uh, when you find you're not as clear or not as motivated to do things, double down on revisiting your purpose. Maybe, like you said, maybe it's changed. Um, but I think really being clear on that's very important. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the program structure. So in the program, we have 36 lessons. Each lesson has different layers. So layer one is an audio lesson, which is what you're listening to right now. Um, it also has a lesson file in GitHub, which includes sort of like bullet points of what we cover, uh, lesson notes, which will be more and more detailed over time, uh, and a set of experiments, at least five to start with, rated from really small to really big. So that's layer one. Layer two is basically stories and conversations, uh, beautiful disagreements between nerds about the specific lesson topic. Okay. So anyone can submit those at any time. If you have a meaningful story to share, if you have an experience you want to share, or if you have a conversation with another nerd and you think it would be helpful for other people in the community to hear it, submit that um, to the GitHub lesson and we'll add that as layer two. Layer three is sources used by the teachers who created the lesson and also resources for going deeper. So this might be like a podcast related to the topic or videos, articles, books, whatever it might be. And so it's organized in layers. Reason being is that on a certain lesson, you might just want to listen to the lesson and learn enough to prepare you to do experiments, but not really have an interest in going deeper. We might get to another lesson, say about food. If you're really interested in food and you want to go way deeper, well, layer two and three are there to deepen your um, learning on that topic, but it's not mandatory, right? Layer one is what's mandatory to get through the program and it has the essentials, but layer two and layer three will enrich each lesson and provide more information if people want to go deeper. And I think in the former iteration of the Footner program, there were no layers. And so everything was there. And I think it was a lot, right? If you weren't super interested about a certain topic, there might've been a lot of information and it could have been overwhelming. So layering it, I think gives clarity as to like what's expected for people to go through and what's extra. Um, and also lets everyone contribute. You know, if someone has a really good podcast, they listen to on the topic of meditation, they can submit that to the, the lesson teacher and we can plug that in so that the whole community can listen to it. And so that's the layering with content. In terms of actual structure, um, the zoomed out structure of this program in terms of um, components of learning is 20% information, 
60% mindful experimentation and 20% reflection. And it's structured that way because the information isn't really a huge part, right? Like you have to know some fundamental principles, but it's really applying those principles and reflecting on the experiments you did. That really is the, that is the key of learning health is it has to be experiential. It has to be done within community so that you can share your results with others and really interact and find out, okay, well, how are my experiments stacking up with others? Can they suggest experiments I wouldn't have thought of? So, um, the 20% information part is the lessons and the resources. So it might be like an audio lesson, the books, podcasts, 60% mindful experimentation is really the action oriented stuff. So this can be, and th there's a very broad scope, right? It can be literally, if you're making a meal from scratch and it took you an hour, well, that's, that's the experiential part of, for that day. Um, going for a 30 minute walk, going to bed 30 minutes earlier, 30 minutes of extra sleep is like an, a, a, an applic an application, an action oriented application. And then the reflection piece is really your daily log. Um, and maybe, uh, like a synthesis every, every week or every couple of weeks. So, you know, just to make this tangible, each lesson is 10 hours. There's 36 lessons. That's how we get to 360 hours. So for each lesson, like lesson 1.1, you might listen to this podcast, right? And if, if it's 20%, 60, and then 20, well, for lesson 1.1, that's two hours of learning. So you might listen to this podcast and maybe dive into one of the other uh, resources, like listen to a pod, another podcast or something. Uh, six hours of experimenting is really just applying what you're learning. Um, and then it leaves two hours of your health log, which maybe for 10 days is like 10 minutes a day. And then after 10 days, you do a 20 minute review of like, what did I write for those past 10 days? What are the key insights to extract? And then that's like a 10 hour chunk. And then you go on to the next one. So I think really figuring out like everyone's going to apply those numbers differently. But I think it's important to remember that information is necessary, but it's not a huge part of it. Mindful experimentation is the biggest part. And then you need to reflect to make sure that you're learning the lessons that come about from your experiments. Mm -hmm. um, what are your thoughts on that sort of breakdown in terms of the layers and in terms of the structure? I mean, you laid it out really perfectly. I just want to, I guess, like I would want to, from experience, focus for a moment on the reflection aspect, because I find that. Um, and everybody's different, but the reflection aspect is the part that tends to go by the wayside when we're, when, when I'm busy. Yep, um, and so reflecting is, I mean, it's such a word. It's like, well, looking, looking back on what I did, but really taking that in and, and, and I mean, feeling like truly feeling in your body, like what's going on because you said this earlier that there are going to be most likely aspects that are not going that are going to feel challenging and we're going to want to move away from that so the reflection aspect is it's 20 percent, but it's very key in how how we go about doing that so i would say that um spending time exploring what reflecting actually means like how does that feel in our bodies as we're living our lives and like what are the effects of reflecting on what are the effects of what I'm changing and doing because they, they, they are profound experiences. Yeah. And I agree. I think the reflection part is like hitting control save, right? Like you learned all this stuff and then you spent time writing up a document, you did all this work. And if you don't hit control save, you oftentimes don't retain all the work that you did. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and determine like, what is of most relevance? Say I did like mm -hmm five hours worth of stuff. Well, maybe there's only a couple tiny little insights that I garnered from that. But if I don't reflect on what I did and the results I got, um, it's really hard to distill that out and really get mm -hmm. the 
the nugget, the golden nuggets that are buried in a, in a mountain of work often. And so, yeah, I think, I think having the daily health log being the proof of work that's hard coded into every day for 360 days, I think I really gravitated towards that because that I think is a way to ensure that the health log gets done. That's a way where it's like you hard code in reflection into your day and build it into your daily routine um, at a time that you know you have full control over and it'll get done. And mm-hmm. some days you might not have a, lo- a lot of stuff to write, but the more you do it, the more reps you get of writing something down every day, the more it becomes your default, where when you don't write something down, it feels weird instead of mm-hmm. having to actively push yourself to do that. Um, I just want to talk about the student pack real quick. So the student pack is essentially tools for the journey. Uh, it has books uh, that are the primary book recommendations for each of the five pillars. It has a notebook, has a bunch of toys. So like beams, balls, toe spreaders, a hacky sack, and a TFC t-shirt. This is not essential, but it is extremely helpful. Um, and nerds get a discount on it. So I think the retail price of everything is like 570 Canadian nerds get it for 350 if they enroll in the program. And to be quite frank, like we buy the books from Amazon, we don't get like big wholesale discounts. So if you want to literally just look at what's in the student pack, pick and choose items uh, and grab those on Amazon yourself, or just grab a couple items from TFC hard goods, you're more than welcome to do that. But the student pack is there from a convenience perspective. Last year, it was a core part of the program. This year, we're going to offer more flexibility. Um, but it has a lot of good stuff in there, really good books that will last you a long time. And a lot of toys that can be important for implementing like movement related projects or doing your own uh, natural foot health experiment. So we'll have a link to that in the lesson file for this. Um, let's talk about some, so we went through the lesson, we talked about our core values, um, and, you know, taking down notes as you listen to these lessons, like everyone listens to podcasts differently, right? We're going to have a video version of this lesson and an audio version. If you're listening to the audio version in your own space with your log book in front of you, maybe you're taking notes, right? Maybe you write down our core values and unpack what they mean to you. Um, Maybe you're writing down like, this is what critical thinking means to me. Like really um, taking an active approach to this learning, not just like listening to the lesson and checking that box off. Um, I think that's going to be really, really important for people. So I'm going to recommend a couple experiments and Ruth, I'd love you to chime in if you have any other experiments to add, but, um, the first experiment is start a health log. So it can be digital or in paper, but literally start a dedicated either file on your phone or on your computer, or just a, I I'm a really big fan of physical notebooks. Like you can buy these Amazon notebooks for 10 bucks. You can write something on the front of it and say, this is my foot nerd program health log. Um, but just start that. Like that's a good, that's a good first experiment. Um, and then maybe, your first entry in your health log is creating an intention statement. Why did I do this program? When am I going to actually write in my daily health log? Like what, like literally all the details, when am I going to write in it? What time of day? Where is it going to be? What if I miss a day? What's my contingency plan? What's my reminder to make sure I don't forget a day. So these are some good initial experiments. Um, You can start designing accountability prompts. And these experiments are going to be listed in the lesson plan that you have access to. Um, And so, you know, maybe there's an alert on your phone each day that says, you know, health log. Uh, Maybe you tell your family members to remind you, right? Like engineering your prompts can be a good experiment uh, for this first lesson. And then um, doing a Zoom call to meet your partner. So email, you'll you'll get your learning partner's email address. If you email them, set up a Zoom call, you know, chat with them for half an hour, learn some interesting things about them. I think that's a good experiment to do uh, for this first lesson. Uh, any experiments to add there, Ruth? And we'll constantly be adding to those, but those are some that came to mind. Well, I think just one, I would say, so we've talked a lot in this lesson about like the scientific 
method and health log. And it all is very, um, it's designed so that you can have like a tangible official experience that you can reflect on and see like what you're doing. But I guess one experiment that I would, I would suggest is to actually check in and emotionally um, and see how you feel at the beginning, like of this, like not only assess like your physical health, assess your emotional health, like what are your, what are your moods like? And like, write that down so that you can, um, you know, we're talking about having a human experience, like the, the, the highest quality human experience that we can have. And I think like Nick in the earlier, you, you talked about how health and science, you know, like these are words that have like some charge to them. But if you think about like the quality of life, like what is the quality of my life right now? Like, and how does, how do I want it to change? And then put that in your health log or your journal. If you don't, you know, if you don't want that to be a part of that, um, but make that assessment too. Don't just go about like, how do I physically feel like assess what your what kind of human experience are you having and how would you like that to change? That's a really good point. Almost like a, a check-in at the start of the journey so that you can, and maybe like once a month you do a check-in to just mm -hmm. see like, how am, how am I feeling in general, physically, emotionally, mentally, um, and even in your health log, like writing down challenges that you may have faced that are not, uh, you know, like if you have a really challenging interaction with someone, just use your health log as a way to kind of reflect on how did you feel during the interaction? How did you feel you dealt with it? How can you deal with it better next time? These might be traditionally like journal items, but I think for a lot of people that don't take a daily journal, the health log will be a way to uh, develop the habit of doing a daily journal. Like maybe your health log is documenting this 360 hour journey you're on, but then afterwards it just kind of blends into something you do daily because you've already built the routine of 360 days in a row, writing something in a book. Um, and yeah, and I think planning the journey, you know, the more planning, if you're planning, then you're essentially removing a lot of potentials for failure, right? Um, what's the saying? If you fail to plan, you're planning to fail or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's the same, but that sounds pretty good. That makes sense. <laughs> By Nick St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. AKA everything I say is stolen from someone at some point. So I just can't remember who it was. Um, but I think like, you know, when we get into the behavior design lesson, we're going to talk about a recipe and a recipe is essentially like outlining the details of exactly when you're going to do something, where you're going to do it, how you're going to do it, what measures you're going to take to make sure that you're always able to stay good on that ritual. And I think creating a recipe for your daily hour, right? Because um, it's really an hour a day is the commitment. That hour will be used for many things. Maybe 10 minutes of that is reflection. But, you know, when are you going to do the hour, right? Everyone has busy lives. And so really getting an understanding of your time and knowing like, okay, this is a chunk of time I have full control over every day. Typically, it's like first thing in the morning or last thing before bed. Um, those are good times to place it, but maybe for some people working from home, it's like, I need a lunch break. So I'm going to take an hour at lunchtime. If half that time is spent creating a healthy meal from scratch, that's 30 minutes of that's an experiment, right? Like I'm, and then I might take a note. I made this today and I felt better the rest of the day because I ate real food or whatever it might be. Um, but really carving out, like, when are you going to do it? Where are you going to do it? What obstacles do you foresee stopping you from being able to do that? Do you have full control over that time? If you don't do it, how are you going to make sure that you don't miss a second day? Uh, and even like blocking off that time, like telling people, okay, at this time I'm unavailable. I'm spending this time on my health. I don't want to, I'm not going to have my phone. I'm not going to be on my computer. So I really, I really think that creating the recipe is almost like stating clearly in a high level of detail, the intention that you're bringing to it. And so I think that's really important. And mm -hmm. you're essentially crafting a health ritual, right? You're mm -hmm. determining like, 
there's going to be some trial and error. You might place it somewhere in your day. And then after a couple of weeks, you're like, well, that doesn't work because half the days I got interrupted. So I got to put it somewhere else. Um, but really creating like a daily ritual of an hour of day you spend on your health process. Um, maybe at the start, you only have 30 minutes during the day and you go to bed 30 minutes earlier. That's an hour, right? It, it shows itself differently. Um, but I think as long as we're making sure we're spending an hour of our day and, you know, maybe you treat each lesson as its own 10 day chunk. And then you kind of reassess, like, what did I do for each of these days? Did I show up and write something in my health log each day? A lot of it is just really about being honest with yourself, right? Mm -hmm. It's convenient to not acknowledge when you, no one likes screwing up, right? No one likes mm -hmm. not making good on a commitment they made, but I think we just have to be compassionate with ourselves and seek support when needed to kind of recalibrate and get back on track when we get off track. And that's, mm -hmm. that's all part of the process. Like if you think you're going to do it perfectly, I don't know if that's realistic, mm -mm. you know, it's just, that's just not reality. Mm -hmm. And so expecting that there will be challenges and obstacles means that when you face them, you're like, okay, this is kind of what I expected. And this is my plan. If I encountered it, I'm going to try this and see how it goes. And I would, I would, I would say too, that if you, if you, if it's going perfectly, then you're probably missing something, you know, like, <laughs> that's a really you, good point. no, you can't, yeah. you, I mean, like, then, 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 then you haven't spent your time and your money. Well, like you, the, you came into this program because there's, there's like the, the challenges are the, are the, are the juice. That's like the meat and potatoes. Like, how yep. are we going to face the challenges and then take an honest inventory as we go along? And I mean, I will say like, just in, you know, I think we're getting ready to wrap up, but like, yep. I, I have to say that for the, the, the biggest growth I have learned in my time going through this program, which is forever <laughs> that I am now at the point, which I never was where I would flee from challenge as much as I could. And now I find myself, um, going into challenges, um, more, uh, voluntarily, you know, I just, it's like, okay, bring it on. Let me see how I can do. I just have, my mindset has changed in a way that like you were talking about the toboggan sled. It's like, oh, wow. I, not that I want to, not that I'm a masochist or something, but I actually embrace the challenges because I know on the other end of the challenge is this really nice growth spur. And ultimately, and this is the last thing I have to say about this is that when we take care of ourselves in this way, I can see that me taking care of myself is actually taking care of the community around me. And that is important to me. And I think yeah. it's, think that's what, one of the reasons I can see other foot nerds in the past have said themselves as well. Yeah. I think it's really aligned with this whole notion of leading by example, right? Like people learn from your behaviors much more than they learn from whatever words you say. And so if you just lead by example in your own life, you're setting an example, whether you realize it or not for everyone that encounters you and sees you during the day, right? Like going on a 30 minute barefoot walk. Cause you're curious to see how your feet react to it. If 10 people see you on a walk and they're all like, Oh, geez, that person's not wearing shoes. I wonder why I'm wearing shoes. Why aren't they wearing shoes? Like you're impacting a huge amount of people, even though you might not realize it. And so, um, yeah, I can't remember what I was going to say there. That's okay. But yeah, embrace the journey, embrace all. Oh yeah. What I was going to say is this whole notion of initially, like no one wants to be made uncomfortable. But when you realize that being uncomfortable often leads to an insight or some growth instant that feels really good after and actually makes you more resilient to being uncomfortable in future, then you start to lean into those things mm -hmm. um, because you start to learn that being uncomfortable is the only path forward. And eventually you run out of things that make you uncomfortable. Uh, not that the actual events change, but your perception of them, your confidence or your 
uh, the way you frame them in your life starts to change as you kind of go through these instances, whether it's just like taking a cold shower or having a difficult conversation instead of move, instead of leaning, shying away from it, leaning into it, you start to learn that things that are scary actually don't end up being as scary as you thought they were. And better yet, there's always a huge benefit on the other side of challenge. Um, and it also gives you an idea of like, okay, I don't want to overwhelm myself. And sometimes you'll get to the point where you'll challenge yourself so much, you overwhelm yourself. And that's part of the learning. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's really just understanding like, okay, I want to challenge myself enough to facilitate growth, but not so much that I'm getting overwhelmed or anxious or scared. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and only the individual can kind of learn that through experimentation. And Mm -hmm. our hope is to guide people with a framework for how to do productive experiments, how to really think of how to analyze things and think about them before they make a decision, because it's very easy to um, decide something before you even give it a chance. I think that's our, that's our default of what we want to do to get certainty. But like you said, that stops us from sometimes seeing reality, um, as it actually is. So that's it. Uh, we hope you found this lesson helpful and you took some notes in your log. Um, you know, listening to this, being here and listening to this is proof of work. So thank you for showing up. Um, and thank you for taking responsibility for your health. Cause I think that mm-hmm. is, that is how we get to a better world is more people taking more responsibility for their experience, for the truth that they have, for being able to have disagreements with people in a productive manner. And that's really what a lot of this program is about. So, um, connect with your pod mates, ask them questions about this lesson, challenge them. Let us know if you disagree with something we mentioned or have something to add, you know, these lessons are dynamic. They're co- every person that goes through this lesson will usually have some form of feedback to make this lesson better. And that's the whole point. It should never stay static. So uh, thank you for listening and ciao for now. Ciao for now.